so many emails. You get this email, it's from one of your students. Mm, I was in my life. And then work happened. More on this in this episode of Stationed with Stories. Station with Stories. That's it. All right. You are listening to Stationed with Stories. I am your host, Kalisha Halashesi. And before we get started, let me just say that these are my thoughts, my thoughts, my thoughts, my thoughts. And they do not represent or reflect the positions, opinions, or views of the U.S. Armed Forces in any way. All right. Now that we got that out of the way. Hi, peeps. Really excited, y'all. We are moving into the fall season now. Depending on where you are, it may be scorching hot right now. But I would say that fall is around the corner. I am looking forward to it. It is my favorite season. I love autumn. Love it, love it. And also, happy Labor Day. For those who are listening on Labor Day or Labor Day weekend or Labor Day week. And if you're not, you know, hey. Happy Labor Day anyway. So let's just jump right into it, y'all. I was so proud of myself this past week. I finished two books. I'm just going to talk about one of them today. I'll tell you all about the other one next week. But I finished a book I have been working on for months. Yes, you heard it right. Months. I have finally finished with this book and... Let me tell you, it was epic. I just finished The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas, right? And he was a French writer. This book was published in 1844. Considered a classic for many people on many lists. Um, I would say a, a European classic. It was 52 hours. I think it was 52, 53 hours listening to it on audiobook. And in terms of the book, though, and listening to it, it was it was read by Bill Homewood. And I would say that it was brought to life through his version. And so, you know, kudos to him, because, of course, it's Alexandra Dumas's book, but he really brought it to life in the audio form. So anyway, read it. Took months and y'all, it took months because I would really listen to it only when I was cooking in the kitchen when I remembered to turn it on or if I was traveling for a short distance and I just turned it on in my ear or working out or something like that. And so I wouldn't dedicate a lot of time to it and definitely not every day, but I finally finished it, y'all. And my three words for this book, slow burn, ironic, ludicrous. Y'all, for many people, they've read this book or they've seen a dramatic interpretation of it. But if you have not, like I hadn't, like I don't think I'd ever even picked up a synopsis of the book. And so I came to it because one of my husband's shipmates, she had it, we like had a dinner party and she had it on her shelf and it was a huge tome. And I said, well, what did you, you like this book? And she had a lot of European classics on her bookshelf. And she said, yes, I, it's one of my favorites. I really like that one. And she was showing me some other ones. And I took that as a challenge, y'all. 
you know what? It's, uh, there are a lot of good memes, Michael Jordan memes, and I took that personally. And I took that personally. I thought, she said it's a classic that sh- is one of the top of her list. I'm going to read it. And so that's what I did, y'all. <laughs> so I said about reading this book and or listening to it, I should say. And it was a slow burn. It was, I mean, it's epic. Like I said, 52 hours for an audiobook is unheard of. It's, it's multiple chapters. I think it was up to hundred and close to 120 chapters, somewhere around there. Slow burn. And what's amazing is that you imagine that the hero is going to win in the end. But getting to that point, y'all, there's so much thought by the principal character on how to exact revenge. It's a slow burn. And I was there the whole time. It, I was there the whole time. It was riveting. And I know that wasn't one of the words, but slow burn, just each and every part of the plot that was playing out over these many, 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 many pages uh, and many hours of listening. It was a slow burn. You know, you finally got to the point where you ex- you were expecting the real revenge to take place, but it took a long time to get there. But along the way, there was some good stuff that was happening. There's some really interesting subplot points that I was here for. Y'all, I really enjoyed that piece. Second word, ironic. Lots of dramatic irony. And this is where, I'll get to Little Chris in a second. This is where I would just be so tickled. Hilarious. Oh my gosh, because there were so many places where the audience, us, the reader, understood exactly what was going on, but the characters did not. And it was, and it created an atmosphere, just a reading atmosphere of dramatic irony that led to ludicrous, just ludicrous, like funny moments. And uh, I really enjoyed that. The dramatic irony was high. The main protagonist, he really had an elaborate plan that he exacted. It was just amazing. The people who met him in his different aliases was, <laughs> it, those moments were hilarious and very, very much full of dramatic irony, right? He had many aliases to exact revenge. And that was part of the genius of you know, our main protagonist and the book itself. Okay. Third word, ludicrous. I've already mentioned it. I mean, there, I want to say funny, but that wasn't quite right. I wanted to say hilarious. Still not quite right for this book. It's ludicrous. It is ludicrous. That is what I experienced. Just so much heightened tension, so many plots and subplots, so much hilarity in the way that dramatic irony was deployed here that I, it was just ludicrous. There are moments where I laughed aloud and and it wasn't meant to be funny per se, but the way it was written just made it so funny. And I was in a workshop, a writing workshop, you all, for those who have been with me for a while, you know that I'm a writer. And one of the things that was interesting, someone told me, 
or I read somewhere is that if you want to create convincing comedy, write it as if everybody thinks they're in a tragedy and and it will be very comedic. And I think in the opposite direction in this book, they are all thinking that they are in the best of times. Some of them are some of the characters that this protagonist is exacting revenge on. They're, they're thinking they're living the best times that they are getting over on people. And you know, as the reader that mm-mm, they have no clue. And so it, it almost works in the opposite direction in this particular book. But I, I just thought it was ludicrous. I mean, I, it was just so dramatic, so like funny in tragic ways and dramatic, ironic ways. And the slow burn, I mean, it took so much elaborate planning to exact the revenge, but Dantes, he does it. That's our main character. He really does it. He exacts the revenge in such an elaborate way. And so, yeah, I I really did enjoy it. I really did enjoy it. And like I said, it took a long time to get to the very end of the book, but I'm so glad that I finally got to it because it was worth it. It was worth it. So that once again is The Count of Monte Cristo. It is written by Alexandra or Alexandre Dumas, French writer, published in 1844. You can read it in many different forms, many different languages. It's one of those books, but I listened to it on uh, Audible and it was an audio version that I really enjoyed. Read by Bill Homewood, Dantes, the protagonist. It was fantastic. I enjoyed it. It just, it, and there were some other parts. I'll say this really quickly. It is a book of its time. Okay. So we're talking about 1844, right? So 19th century French, and there's some other places they travel to, but France, right? There are some parts that, you know, for me, I said, oh, that's a little problematic. There were slaves in the book, people who were not in chattel slavery. So that's different. But there there was that, right? There was this people holding themselves out in bondage for shelter and food and being taken care of. So that that part, there there are parts that kind of rubbed me and I thought, "Mm, sounds like the times, you know, the way that certain social customs were carried out and that sort of thing. But anyway, it was a fantastic book. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was epic. And um, pick it up if you so choose. All right, moving on to the topic of the day. Y'all, so you know how people like to talk about work-life balance? I think it's a farce. It it really is a work-life balance. It, it is something that people like to talk about and want to attain and want they always always trying to get some work-life balance. It's about work-life balance. Oh yes, I'm just trying to have a good work-life balance. No, I don't have you met people who said, I have perfect work-life balance. It's just if you're working, it's it's hard to balance, you know, what's happening at home with, with what's happening at work for certain careers. And particularly being a military spouse, man, I think it's really interesting. We talk a lot about how busy our spouses are. And so male spouses, you know that. And if you're male curious, if you don't have 
uh, any knowledge about this world, I would say that it is a community that is very, very interested in talking about how busy our spouses are and, and trying to be respectful or, or cognizant at the very least of how stressful this particular career is. And it's true. And there are a lot of different careers in the military. Definitely some that are not as stressful, I can imagine. Definitely some that are not combative. Like you, there are plenty of careers in the military. So it's not just those who are on the front lines if something happens in global relations and we need to deploy troops. No, not everybody in the military obviously is doing that work. But I would say, at least in the community that I'm in, there's a lot of conversation about just how busy and stressful. And and we're in Japan, once again, that's 7th Fleet. And 7th Fleet is a forward deployed fleet. This is Navy. And so that just means that they are gone a lot. Gone a lot. They're expected to be gone much more than a lot of other, at least in the Navy, a lot of other fleets would be just because of where we are in the world and the type of relationships that the U.S. wants to maintain with allies and and that kind of thing and, and just being cognizant of who are not our allies, right, in this region. So there's a particular psychology thought process behind it that is way above anything that would be considered my pay grade. But, right, the the understanding, the experience on the ground for families is that they are gone and they are doing their job and it is stressful and they live at work when they are on the ship. For those who have Navy spouses or if you have a spouse who's deployed, they live at work, y'all. And I can't imagine that there is any type of balance. I, I can't imagine. So we talk a lot in the middle spouse community about this, right? And so, you know, it got me to thinking there... There's always, you know, there's a moment where they're on duty, they're on watch, and they have to do their job. But they have to also relax, too. They're they're not on watch the whole time, even if they're on a ship or even if they're out in the field, right? They They have a particular system that they follow. But it can always be work. Mm-hmm. Our downtimes can always be work. And I'll tell you a little bit about my background. I actually used to live at work too. Now, it wasn't a military, but y'all, let me tell you, work-life balance. <laughs> I worked at a boarding school, loved it. Let me just say that first. I really enjoyed my job and I really enjoyed the people that I worked with. In terms of the culture around working, it was quite work-heavy. When our kids were there, it's a college preparatory school, just so that that's clear. It was a college preparatory school. Kids wanted to be there. It was high school, and the kids came from all over the world. I really enjoyed working with my population of students, international students. That's what I worked. I worked with our international students. We had over 200 of them coming from countries all over the world. I also worked in the dorm. And other things, so you do all the things at boarding schools. And so I had many hats. But y'all, it just, you know, this got me to thinking, you know, it can always be work. And so I, I listened to, you know, just how my spouse has lots of work when he's out, right? And I think to myself, you know what? It's, it, it can always be work, even if you are on your downtime. Now, I've been wor- worrying, not worrying, I've been thinking about that. You know, what if he's just 
hanging out and drinking a soda or a pop, right? And and something pops off and it's like, you need to do this. But he was on his downtime. But there's no work-life balance in some careers. And so it's just like, you. it, it could be work. It can be work. And I, I just thought about my experience before this, before becoming a male spouse and coming into this military life. Y'all, I, I, I have some experience. Mm-hmm. I have some experience in this. Y'all, I would be at the school and we had, a, it was a big school now, 200 international students. So you can imagine how big the student body was, over 1,100 kids. And so I could be, you know, painting my nails, mm-hmm. painting my nails. And what, y- y- y'all don't paint your nails? Y'all go get your nails done, right? Mm-hmm. But see me, so I would get my nails done sometimes, but if I, maybe I just paint my nails, paint my toes, you know? I'm off. I am not in a classroom. I was also a teacher. I taught Spanish. And that was, oh, I love that as well. And my department was fantastic. Right? I had so many hats, but there were times that I was supposed to have downtime, right? You go back, you paint your nails, and a kid gets sick. Mm, Kid got sick. And what happened? It could be work, right? That might mean you need to get on up and check on the kid. If they're really, really sick, you might have to transport them to the infirmary or the hospital, like we had kids that sometimes it exceeded what we could do in-house on campus and they had to go to the hospital. And what? You are the parent, right? And local parentis, we used to say. And that means that when the parent is not there, you are operating as such. Painting your nails on your downtime, your life. And then work comes in, work-life imbalance, y'all. Too, I was thinking about, you know, I, I love to jog. Beautiful campus north of Boston, right? So beautiful campus in Massachusetts. Go for a little jog, right? You're going for a jog, doing your thing. You're like, I am not in the classroom teaching. I am not in the dorm watching the kids right now. I am not doing all the other things I do here. It's life. Come through life. And then you see a kid sneaking around in a place that they should not be. Could be work, huh? You you thought you were in your life period of it and it and it has just become work because now you had to figure out to whom this kid belongs. Like where where do you live, child? Which dorm are you in? Who is your advisor or who is your house counselor first? Like you know, where where is this person? Let me locate them because you are not supposed to be here. What are you doing? I mean, listen, you you were in life and then it became work. And I was also thinking, you know, you could be cooking dinner. And I love to cook, y'all. Love to cook. Cooking dinner. And you were like, I had office hours today. The students had questions. I answered them. Fantastic. I'm going to go home and live my life. And many of us lived in dormitories. I fortunately had an apartment on campus. It was on campus, but it was there's a little bit more separation for me in that in those um, years there, right? So I go back home on campus, little my little walk, eight minutes between my office and where I lived, and cook. And then you get this email, y'all. Emails have taken over, have they not? So many emails. So you get this email is from one of your students. Mm, I was in my life. And then work happened. And you have to answer the children. At least that was a culture for us. We didn't just leave them hanging. We answered their questions. They have homework questions. Even though office hours just 
happened earlier today and this child didn't come to office hours but now we have questions in the evening time when I'm trying to cook my meal I'm trying to have my little falafel balls that those take time to get together let me let me just have my little falafel sandwich with my pita bread and, and my tomatoes yes but no life became work and so Y'all, I I just think about that. That is an honor, right, of Labor Day and thinking about labor and thinking about just how I think as a society, we really emphasize lots of work just as a society, just outside of anything else, right? But particularly because of military community, right? Military anywhere, I would imagine, is it's the duty. It is the duty to serve. And when they are living life, Sometimes, especially when they're out and in the environment where they actually live and work in the same place. Oh, y'all, I can only imagine how often life could also be work. All right, then. So let us move on to the last section of the podcast, y'all. Let me go ahead and slide into this poem quite short. And I need to give you a backstory. So in my past life, it's the same life, right? But I'm in a different chapter of this life. And so in a previous chapter of my life, I lived in China. And ooh, I would have to really, it, it's a book within itself, all the experiences I had there. I loved living in China, especially the second time I lived there and was doing research. And that was, it was fantastic. But anyway, did a lot of traveling, right? I went to this city called Dandong, China. And it is on the border. It's it's really far, far, far east China, which is separated by a body of water, small body of water. I think it's a maybe a river, they call it, between China and North Korea. So I was also in northern China, right? And this is where the city is. And this is where this very happy exploration of part of the Great Wall of China is there and different sightseeing things. This is this is a good trip that turned it turned a little sour. So you'll you'll understand in just a second. I call this poem simply Dandong China. It's gone. All the photos just a memory documented and stolen. My tears waiting till nightfall, the muscles for smiling were granted paid leave. My graduation gift is on someone else's gotcha list. And I don't plan to forget this anytime soon. I won't. Less than 60 seconds out of my sight, Fatigue green manual lens high-end Nikon that sticky-fingered scoundrel shrugged past my frantic face. Cold-blooded. All right, y'all. That is it for today. I hope that you enjoyed the podcast. Definitely, if you are so inclined, share it. Share the podcast with a friend. Let them know if there's an episode that you think they'd be interested in or they just would be interested in all of the podcasts. Share it. Definitely check me out on social media. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram, stationed underscore story. And I have a YouTube page, y'all. YouTube. So you can check me out there. I have lots of content from kind of a former 
version of this page, which is very inspirational. So you can check that out. But of course, pertaining to Station with Stories, which is the name of the YouTube page, I have some of my adventures here in Japan. I'm posting just about every two weeks, every one to two weeks at this point. And so check that out. Definitely leave all the stars wherever you are listening. Leave a review. And until next Monday, it's Station with Stories. I am your host, Kalisha Hollis-Jesse. Bye, peeps.